Here is Apocalypse Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Rudd. Welcome to Apocalypse Podcast. I am doing great. And how are you guys doing? I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I'm, I've, I've got a lot. I'm not gonna lie. I'm a, a little in mourning over our, over the departure of our, our friend Calamity Bannon. Aww. From, uh, from our, fa- our favorite White House. How about you guys? Yeah, I like Calamity Bannon. That's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm also in mourning for him. Uh, I feel like he was the spirit animal of our show. I kind of feel like a, a superhero without an arch villain right now. <laughs> uh, no joke. When Shane and I were kicking around ideas for the show. We had the idea like we would be the what was it like the Bannon the Bannon all right hour, and we, <laughs> we would clarify at the beginning of every show that this was not. Oh, we don't mean we don't mean Washington Bannon. We mean Hollywood Bannon. He's the guy we're talking about. Exactly. He's the major player. We would have to clarify that at the beginning of our our very very deep show. I like the idea of somebody like who's like, wait, yeah, I'm a huge Steve Bannon fan. He's done some great work for Goldman Sachs, and like they have no idea <laughs> they have no idea he's gone on to work for Trump at all. Yeah, it'd be like if the last time you heard about Pete Rose was like in, you know, 82 or something. You're like, yeah, he does amazing work. Wow, way to go, guy. Yeah, Baseball Adolf, Adolf Hitler's a pretty good painter, in my opinion. I think he's, <laughs> he's going to make it big someday. I was going to say, I think the best sports analogy would be O.J. Simpson. Oh, God, you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Who among <laughs> us? <laughs> Who among us has not had an O.J. had a moment like that? And I'll tell you, uh, he's not just a good running back, folks. He's a pretty decent actor, also. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, without him, I don't know if I would have ever rented a Hertz car. God knows I never had the access to him uh, to them before he came along. And I can't imagine what I'm going to do now. Poor Hertz, by the way. Yeah, oh, well. r- rough endorsement deal. But uh, Budget also um, had John Wayne Gacy as a spokesman. So, you know, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> they had some bad choices, too. I think you're forgetting the uh, pre-Enterprise like Enterprise Manson family days. That was a weird promotion. It <laughs> lasted was. for about a month. And I and don't the, know what to think about it. And the honest. weird one with Enterprise is they did it after all the murders. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> real, real strange on their end. We are recording to you. I'm recording at least from the fabulous uh, studio at work here. So if you hear the background uh, conditioning, that's, that's all that's, that, that is. It's my need to stay cool at work. I'm killing the ozone for you people. I hope you're okay with that. And as we're doing disclaimers, uh, you can probably tell I have a sore throat, and it's from screaming after Bannon got fired for a day straight. So I, uh, I apologize as well. I tried to call you during that time. It was just like a loud, piercing, I'm not sure, like a, like a submarine whistle, I guess is the best way I would describe it. That I thought I had like ran into a, like a fax machine or something. That was you? Yeah, I, <laughs> I couldn't stop. And, you know, the rest of my life was very ordinary. I was doing, you know, errands, like, you know, cooking, stuff like that. I just couldn't stop screaming uh, for exactly 24 hours. And then uh, then I wept for another 24 hours. And then <laughs> here we go. I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, there's somebody online who talks about how they were going to take soup. Like, have the, people have this thing where they take super lighthearted works of fiction and they make them over into grimdark stuff. Like, what if Ferris Bueller is actually Cameron in a coma or something? And somebody was saying, like, what if you took really dark shows and you made them lighthearted stuff? Like, clearly, um, Game of Thrones is, like, the craziest D&D session ever, where the DM is just mean. And I feel like Bannon is, like, a dungeon master who, like, had this really (laughs) slick, like, well, actually, like, super sophisticated, insufferable nerd thing. It's like, well, actually, I have this move planned out five days in ahead. But it just bombed on him. He was going to, like, exit his way out. 
just like very slick like and then this happened and he made gave Trump the wrong advice and then as soon as that was done he was like well see you later the general fired him like a Ronzi teacher being like boy you gotta leave <laughs> now you know now you're, you're making me think of, of like Seinfeld but on a Bannon timeline and like all I all I can really think of of like a Bannon mashup of Seinfeld is Kramer but like his actual race actual life like racist self the Michael Richards is Steve Bannon yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bannon's gonna go back and retool Seinfeld he's like I think I'm gonna put the white supremacy on the back burner and pick up Seinfeld in 2018, what if Jerry got iPad? <laughs> yeah. Think about it. What's the deal with Muslim immigrants? Uh, they come here, they ruin our country. You know, if you think about it, George was the first cuck. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know that Kramer would be alt-right, too. That would be, he'd be like, you know, Jerry. Oh, easily. You gotta look at FBI crime stats. You know, there's all there is to it, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think that that would be the big reveal in like the band, the band in Seinfeld is that Kramer and Newman are like super duper racist. Oh, and Newman! That, yeah, <laughs> Newman is totally a poster. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> uh, Newman would definitely, yeah, yeah, Newman would definitely have like an alt right podcast, but he'd be like the guy that got outed, and then he'd make a video on YouTube <laughs> of him like weeping and like apolog- apologizing <laughs> and saying he doesn't really believe in it. <laughs> Newman would have a podcast like Mail Truth. Dot com. <laughs> he wouldn't take anything from Mailchimp. He'd be like, they're lies, they're liars. I'm not going to say, you know, folks, just go to the documents. That's what it, the entire thing would be. He would have, there would be like all kinds of like Newman podcast memes, like have pictures of mail carriers in the 50s. You know, uh, everybody all gave something, you know, some gave all, that kind of stuff. So it would, God, now I want to watch Sentinel 2018. What am I talking about? No, I, I don't. No, I don't. Not at all. You should start um, a Twitter I mean, account and have like 300,000 <laughs> followers and write a book that nobody reads. <laughs> <laughs> Already on the move. Um, Sh- Shane, I wanted to, you know, we were off the air for a week. And again, keeping to proud glue boy and apocalypse podcast tradition, nothing, uh, nothing political happened during that week while you were away. It's just really good how we schedule these things to be away while there's no events happening at all. Yeah, you know, my big concern, uh, I live in Durham, North Carolina, and my big concern was like the only interesting political event in Durham history uh, would happen in the one week that I was away. And I'm just glad, I'm just glad that didn't go down. You know, I'm glad there was, there was nothing big here in Durham. Um, yeah, no, I, the minute I left on vacation, Charlottesville happened. Uh, then in my hometown... The Confederate statue thing happened in the aftermath of Charlottesville. It was it was quite a week, quite a week to be on vacation. Man, yeah, that's the uh, Durham. When I saw when I saw that happening, when I saw the statue get pulled down, I was like, is Shane Ryan in that crowd? I was I was really hoping, no joke. I was hoping the camera would like pull over and like you'd be watching there with like a beer, being like, yep, statue needs to come down. I didn't see you there, so I was I was a little hurt. I gotta be honest. I uh, I went out when I got home uh, this this weekend. I went on Saturday night, and my friend was doing this like science. It was like a science speed dating activity where it's not actual speed dating, but you spend five minutes with a scientist. You ask them what they do, you get all their stuff, then you move on to the next one. It was kind of this cool event. Like it was at a bar, there was beer, etc. But um, I saw my friend for the first time, who is in Georgetown Law School, and he's almost done, and. We were together and talking to these scientists, and everybody I introduced, I said, he's a lawyer, and he defends Confederate statues. Um, and I, like in court? Yeah, like yeah. I was like, like, he defends, he defends <laughs> keeping Confederate statues up. And it was very difficult for him because everybody believed me uh, right away. And he had to explain. He's like, no, I don't do that. That's, that's not what I do. Uh, so, yeah, it's fresh in everybody's mind. Um, 
Yeah, I was not in the crowd, unfortunately. I was in Ocean City, Maryland. But you guys, uh, you know, you guys were. Um, I mean, it's not like I wasn't following it, but I did try to take a little break because it's the only break I've had in a while. So wrong. What was it like? <laughs> what was it like seeing this stuff? I mean, it felt to me like a little bit of a nightmare, but one that I just like chose to ignore since I happened to be on vacation. The way it, the way it happened, and I think this is the way it always is with big media stories. Like 9/11 was like this, where you're like, "Oh, you're doing something in your normal life," and you're like, "Wow, this thing is happening. Is it a big deal? Oh my God, it's a bigger deal than I thought." I was in I was in bed, and I was looking on my phone, and I was like, "Oh, there's a white supremacist rally in in North Carolina." I was like, "Okay, like people people I follow on Twitter are talking about it. That's fine." But I thought it was just going to be like, okay, like these, you know, these chuds get together at least once a month. So I didn't think it'd be that big a deal. And then when I got up the next morning, I checked Twitter and people were still talking about it. As I didn't know before, the real action was going to happen on Saturday. And then I was like, oh, God, somebody just got hit by this car. Jesus. So that's literally it. And it was just the same sense of mounting unreality that you have every time something terrible like this happens. We're just like, is this actually real? It seems like something out of a movie or out of TV. But yeah, it was real. And then, and nobody understands beforehand how big these things are going to be. It just it, it lands on you and you're like, oh, shit, this is an epoch-defining moment. So that's how I experienced yeah. it. What about you, Jake? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say it's about, about similar to what I experienced. Like, you know, I, I first heard of all this stuff going on Friday night and was just kind of, you know, laundering it via Twitter but not really caring too much about it. It's like, okay, whatever, some assholes with some tiki torches will, you know, <laughs> will endure. Um, but then, you know, the next day, logging onto Twitter and seeing that, like, oh, this is, this is a lot more serious than, than I initially thought. I basically just got completely swallowed up by Twitter. I had all these, you know, all these plans to do stuff. I have all these errands piling up, and basically, I just sat in front of my phone and I could not believe, you know, what I was what I was watching. Because, like, you know, one as as a Jew, that just the topic of Nazis is always a, a little scary because it's like, well, you know, they got us at one point. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, you have that that shit rolling around in the back of your head, and then you know, my grandfather fought in World War II in the European theater. Like he actually killed Nazis, and so it was just such a surreal experience, you know, seeing this like two years after after he had passed. That you know, my grandfather goes over when he's like 18, 19 years old, fights you know the literal definition of evil, and two years after he dies, you know, we have people in our country being like, actually, you know what, Nazis are pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's. It's one of those things where it's like you're not surprised because you know that this undercurrent has always existed in this country's history, but to see it on on a scale like that, I think was kind of shocking. And it's just I don't know. I'm still I, I haven't been able to sleep right since Charleston or Charlottesville. I mean, yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you, Jake, and I'm not Jewish, but like I, it's it brought back the uh, the feeling of anxiety I had on election night, which took like a month to go away, and then it peaked again when he took office, and there was that. Maybe it was like a week or two where the Muslim ban stuff was going through. Uh, it, it peaked then, and then it went away maybe after a month. And then I kind of was like, oh, it's probably over this whole thing because it's, you know, Trump seems kind of incompetent and he's firing everybody. Uh, but then, yeah, then Charlottesville happened and it was right there again. Like that feeling that, like, uh, this is really terrifying. We're losing something important. And uh, I'm sure you guys saw the excellent Vice documentary that came out a couple days later. Um, yeah. My friend, actually, my friend Josh, who I went to uh, UNC grad journalism school with, he made that documentary for Vice, and you can see him in it a couple times. Uh, and Josh is Jewish, and he was in the car 
Uh, when they all got into the van, if you remember that part, the guy with the beard and the crazy guy who later, you know, did the crying YouTube video. Um, when they got in the van, he was in the back seat, and you could see him on. They obviously had two cameras going, and you could see him on the other camera videotaping this bearded guy who just seconds earlier in the video had been railing against Jews and, and black people, um, saying they all need to be killed and et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like, not that it needed to be personal for it to be emotional for me, because it didn't, but I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe my, <laughs> my Jewish friend is sitting there next to this guy who, if he had his druthers, like if there was no law against it, would gladly see my friend killed. Uh, and it's just, it's just unbelievable that, uh, that this happens. And it's not like, it's not like white supremacy is new in America. And I do think there's an extent to which, uh, it can become exaggerated in our minds by events like this. Like, I don't think they're as numerous. I hope that they're not as numerous as sometimes they seem in like our darkest imaginings, but it really is, it really is shocking. And, uh, it made me very angry. Uh, (laughs) it was my predominant emotion. I was just like pissed off like I, I would just have these bouts of anger and my wife would be like sitting next to me and just like see me clench my fist for apparently no reason because of the thoughts going on in my head and it's just i don't know it's, it's really fucked up it, like you have these moments where you're like i just wish they would all fucking die like it's yeah. it's crazy yeah i mean it you know just sitting there like throughout the the whole weekend and dealing with you know trump's mealy mouth response and and all this shit i had the same you know the same anger that was building up but I feel like I had I, something of an epiphany because, like, you know, when you grow up, when you grow up a Jew, you spend your entire time being constantly reminded of the vast amount of cultures that have tried to eradicate us throughout, you know, planet Earth's history. And so, like, every old Jew is somewhat, like, somewhat a little paranoid, but they're also super laid back because it's like, oh, okay, just add another one to the list. And so, like, yeah. watching, you know, watching these neo Nazis that are my age or younger. You know, I basically kind of had that, that feeling like, oh, okay, so the, you know, the fight is still obviously ongoing. Yeah. I, for me, I don't want to be one of those guys who's like, oh, you know, I, I expected this. What I will say is growing up in Lubbock, which is a pretty right-wing place, um, seeing, like, uh, right-wing dipshittery uh, during any big public event was a pretty common thing. Not like this, but, I mean, after 9-11, like, there was a guy who had this sign outside his house which was like, you know, hang Osama, which I guess in the scheme of things is pretty typical, like, nativist, you know, rhetoric. So I got used to that pretty early on. So anytime any of these dipshits gets together, I'm kind of like, well, we'll do what dipshits do. They'll hang out for a bit, and then they'll fuck off. So I, that's what I thought this was going to be. And then, of course, like you guys, I was online in the worst way just obsessively updating this stuff over and over again. I think the thing, uh, Jake, you got at is the return to form here that I want to talk about is I think this pretty much settles for all time uh, something awful, low taxes theory about the internet. In the 90s, we all thought the internet was going to be the salvation, right? All the time magazine covers is like, online, a brave new world. This settles it for all time. The internet is a terrible thing. Like, it's yeah. this is Gary, like... It took the internet to bring back the Nazis, because Nazis have always existed. They didn't go away in 45. They've been in power in various places. But for the most part, it's just like people who didn't have anywhere else to go, and they didn't feel a part of the liberal or conservative order, so they shaved their heads and started shit on the fringes of Germany and the fringes of most countries. But you have internet Nazi core, right? That's what people were doing. Like, it's people who are on Twitter who are very online who are like Nazi LARPers. Essentially, that's what it is. And just like uh, online was supportive for people who were goths or people who were furries, it's the same thing with Nazis, right? They brought the Nazis back. They put them together. They, they like the Nazi memorabilia, Nazi acting out idea. That's a creation of online. None of these people were around 
to have anything against uh, the crushing of the German state. They're just people who want to go after Nazis. I mean, who want to follow in Nazis. So yeah, like the internet made these Nazis. Like that's this is the online Reich, and no, surprising nobody, they ran like cowards when they were confronted about it. Yeah, I'll offer a quick, maybe I don't know if it's a disagreement, but at least a counter narrative to that, Jason, is that I think the internet will have. I, I think you're right in that it allows you know communities of people to get together of all stripes, but. I think in something like this, it's also going to have a, a secondary backlash effect on them that I think we've already seen. I think, number one, it's going to make them lazy about actually being um, active uh, in public. And I think, you know, we saw the first emergence where they came to Charlottesville and you had a few people doing that. And then the, you know, the backlash to that was a lot of these guys lost their jobs. Um, but by the way, they all worked at fucking like hot dog stands. You know, this is this yeah. is the quality um, not that there's anything wrong with that. That sounded snobby. But they all they all lost their jobs, and I, I just couldn't help but think, like, <laughs> them getting together and being like, I finally get it. I finally get why the KKK wears hoods. Um, <laughs> I need to point out. Yeah, yeah. but so, so the point I'm making is, like, there, there's that. And then, you know, there's the, there's the real fear these guys have because the, the counter-protesters were larger in number, and they weren't, you know, they weren't weak. They were confrontational. Sometimes they were violent. Um, you saw in Boston, it, it just fizzled out like, like a, you know, like a wet fart, basically. And then <laughs> since then, you've had a bunch. I, I was reading today, and I don't have my source, but I, like, you know, you've had dozens at this point of rallies canceled, uh, alt-right rallies canceled, because they understand that wherever they organize and wherever they publicize, they're going to run up against something much bigger. And these guys are afraid for their personal safety, and they're also afraid of, you know, losing their livelihoods. Um, if they get spotted. So, and I think a lot of that can be traced to the internet too. So it's, I'm not here to argue that, <laughs> that the internet is a great thing, but I think it will hurt them just as much as it helps them in the future. I have, I ha I have to point out something as a, something that has been passed around a lot that I think needs to be discredited. The idea of the idea that people have of Nazis in their head is going to be like essentially poor white folk who get together like the Klan to terrorize black people and minorities and Jews and Catholics, etc. Right? That's the idea people have about the Nazis. Those white supremacy exists among rural and blue-collar people. I don't think anybody can deny that. That's not what happened in Charlottesville. These were not marginalized people. These are middle-class and upper-class people who had time to go on vacation from their jobs or to drive halfway across the country. These are online nerds who got together in Charlottesville. And that's why the reaction of so many of them, although a lot of them a lot of it was disingenuous. People who were hunting fame were like, whoa, there's pushback against this. A lot of these chuds were pushed back because they were like, no, we were just, it was like watching these guys, it was like watching the people from Fire Island. It was like watching people on vacation be surprised that their cabana wasn't air conditioned. Like some of this, like, <laughs> we were just there in earnestness. It was genuine. For me, like, there's another reason, because the reason why you wear a hood is so you don't get fired, because you're on the end stick of of capitalism and of American white supremacy, and so you're afraid of being found out. These guys were entitled shitheads. That's why they didn't have any fear. That's why they bought fucking tiki torches. That's why yeah. they were able to drive away half of way across the country. These are middle-class shithead Nazi fanboys who didn't realize how big the pushback was going to be. They're so used to being transgressive online edgelords that they didn't realize there was going to be a fucking pushback. I think that's the big difference. And people who want to blame yeah, the poor for this, fuck them. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I got the same feeling of like, these are... These are uh, the children of upper middle class people with like, they have like three brothers and they're the least successful of all their brothers. And they've convinced <laughs> themselves that the reason they're not successful is because of Jews or black people or Muslims or something. Like, th like that's why they're like the ones that are just a little fucked up and 
and they found the reason now, man. It's not their fault. Yeah, I mean the you know the to me the face of this this batch of, of white supremacists was that prick uh, at Boston University who spoke to Time Magazine yep. on it you know na- a fucking announced on a national platform that he was leaving BU because he <laughs> felt he got too many death threats. It's like. Like some, you know, some upper middle class schmuck white kid who has never been told no in his entire life. And then he's, you know, he goes to BU and, you know, there's a lot of good kids at BU, but like if, if I saw that kid walking in Boston, just based on his appearance alone, I would have said that he went to Boston University. (laughs) And so, you know, now you have this like cosmopolitan fuck who's like, I'm going to go to Alabama because that's where the conservatives are. Yeah, you know, yeah, the good old boys, the good old boys in Alabama are going to just accept that nerd with open arms, right? They're not going to be like, fuck you, you nerd Yankee. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely right, Jake. Absolutely right. That guy, that guy was insufferable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like all of these guys are, you know, that like where the, you know, where they were all holed up in the Boston Common, I've walked by that place a million times. Like it's one of the most populated areas in, in downtown Boston. There's absolutely no way in hell anybody could commit a crime there and get away with it. And, you know, those guys are in the fucking gazebo. They're saying, they're like, I don't know if we're going to be able to get out. And, like, I have, <laughs> I have been to countless Boston sporting events where I have seen, like, infinitely more people whose li- livelihood was in danger than what those fuckers are going through. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Like, you, and I'll, you wear a Yankee hat at Fenway Park. That's worse in, you know, in that city than anything those, those guys And do. also, like, they could take their gun out and, like, wave it around and, like, fire four shots in the air. And every cop would be like, sir, we advise you not to do that, sir. But, like, if, 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 like, one black guy with muscles is, like, this is wrong, like, the batons are coming out for him. So, like, yeah. so like bullshit. Fuck you, guy who thinks, like, yeah, I saw that tweet where he's, like, I don't know if we're asking for police protection or we might have to fight our way out. It's, like, fuck you. You've got every, every authority there is on your side, essentially. And it's, it's just so infuriating. Yeah, because the cops didn't yeah. step in during Charlottesville, you know, a lot of these people got beat up. Uh, DeAndre Harris, you know, he got beat up. There's photos of that. We don't know if the police have actually gone Still after no these charges. guys. Did they yeah. put charges down? No, no charges whatsoever. No charges. We have, we've got video. We've got names. We, I mean, like, there's a crime on video. Yeah. Heather Hayer, who got murdered by the shithead who, to quote Chapel again, <laughs> all these guys. This guy looks like he's the central casting for shitty suburban Nazi. Like, however you <laughs> built this guy. It wouldn't. <laughs> I remember after uh, the the Donald, we got that really passive aggressive email that you forwarded to me, Shane, about these guys who are like, we're not like that. You know, we're we're you know, you guys don't treat us with the complexity that we're that we're owed. It's like, no, you guys are a stereotype. There's a reason for these cliches. This guy was a gamer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No. Nope. Like, oh. like have the have the capacity to hold two thoughts in your head at at one moment, and then we can talk about you, treating you like equals. That's the right. Thing that, the thing that got me is, like, again, like, the cops, the, the cops in Charlottesville were negligent and shitty. Uh, they protected these assholes. They didn't step in when people were being beat up. The militia guys who were there who, uh, and I, use, I don't use this word lightly, uh, totally shrecked the cops there because they were like, oh, they've got guns. We can't interfere. Like, that bullshit was part of it, too. And, like, in Boston, of course, like, these guys are protecting the, uh, the you know, these white supremacists, I guess they've got to do it because, you know, they're protecting them from the incipient violence of, of 20,000 Bostonians from stomping on them. I get that, but Charlottesville, I don't see how you look at the legal response to that or the governmental response and see that anyway but a clusterfuck. No, it, it was a total clusterfuck. And I'll tell you, the, the thing that is going to 
end this movement once and for all. I mean, the Charlottesville thing came close because you had a guy drive into a crowd and kill somebody. It, what's going to happen at the next one of these is some loose cannon, just like the kid who drove the car, is going to open fire on protesters. I mean, it's going, it's going to happen. And hopefully we're finally going to come to our senses and see that, like, yeah, you know, it's not doesn't make any goddamn sense for these people to be allowed to carry guns around like this. It's just it's just wrong. And they are essentially like an active militia. And the crazy thing is there's logic to the idea that, you know, the police interfering could have sparked something really horrible. And it, and it just blows your mind to think like, yeah, actually, like the police did the smart thing because the other side had too many guns. And at that point you go, hold on a second. Something needs to be done about this because that's not law and order. That's that's getting close to like a chaos state, uh, and that yeah. and that's fucking horrible. That's what happened in Weimar. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Jake. Yeah, I mean, I would say go back to the shooting in Dallas uh, last year, and the you know one of the cops' main complaints and the and the chaos of all of that was because there were so many people open carrying, they couldn't figure out who the shooter was. Yeah, and like yeah, you have, that's right. You, know, you have police. You have so many police departments who have gone on record saying like, "Hey, open carry does not make our job easier." Like. You know, if you're looking for a shooter and every single person around you is holding a gun, like that's going to slow that process down. Just that, this is just basic logic. Like you don't need to really think this through that much. But you know, such as the NRA, and that and, kind of, and that gets to another question. Sorry to interrupt, Jason, but no a big question I've had a lot of trouble with is: is it right for the left to uh, to engage in in counter violence, essentially, like Antifa and, and things like that? And I'm of two minds, and it's been I've kind of gone back and forth a lot because part of it is like I do think these big incidents like this and these big publicity, or when you see like you know uh, some leftist kick the shit out of a righty, on on one hand it makes it easier for someone like Trump to do this false equivalence um, and make them seem like oh yeah the alt left they're just as violent or whatever even though it's complete bullshit. On the other hand, what's the alternative? Like letting these guys think they run the streets with their guns, like the cops are too afraid to interfere. Uh, like they should be scared. They should be scared to assemble, and it's good that they are. Uh, otherwise, like you said, Jason, like we're we're looking at Weimar all of a sudden, um, where the power just runs out of control. And the last thing you want to do is give these people power because it's what they crave most of all. Because they've never felt it in their lives. They've always felt like losers, um, and there will be no checking them if they if they ever get actual political power or military power like that. So. I don't, I, I'm curious what you guys think, because it, it really is tough for me. During the last years of the Weimar Republic, you essentially had a central government that didn't have that much power. They had a militia, state militia and police, but those were either sympathetic to the rightists or under various political controls when they didn't want to interfere. So what you had in, in the end was communist militias and right-wing militias hunting each other and fighting street brawls, essentially, until Hitler got political power and everything got shut down. So in the case of the right wing, um, on one hand, like the comparisons of like there's going to be a civil war, it's patently ridiculous. There's no overthrowing the American police and military. That's not going to happen. Um, The people who are fighting like in Yemen, right, uh, the Houthi, like these people have been fighting for generations. You know, they're born into these militias. There's an incredible amount they're going to surrender. And that will never happen to an American populace, even an American populace that is being fed Fox News. For one, uh, their motorized scooters don't go that fast. So they can't <laughs> have any kind of tactical offense. That's part one. Part two is that all, this, all, the, uh, all the paramilitary stuff we're talking about comes from nations which have just gotten out of wars. So the Nazis in the 20s are people who have just gotten out of the Great War. 
So you've got a bunch of military bitter-ass veterans who just want any chance whatsoever. And America has been through so many years of like not fighting a war and having a volunteer military, and all these Applebee's fucks are not going to raise up arms. They're too addicted to comfort and their own idea. Like They, they want to be superior, but they don't want to fight for it. So I, they're all cowards, and I, so I don't think there's any real, any real danger of the people who are going to tote guns and shoot stuff. Those people are fairly few and far between, and they're marginalized. The great majority they would have to have to overthrow people uh, that's a, another question altogether. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, certainly not in America. For the, for the same reason, there's not going to be a communist militia that's going to assemble and overthrow capitalism. That's not going to happen either. Yeah. But what I will say is, while violence is not something we could, should consider, um, it is clear that with Nazis, <laughs> Nazis are a different order of threat apart from any conservative um, objection or any conservative protests, right? They're an existential threat. And even for people who are like play Nazis, the cost of being in public, assembling in public and threatening people, has to be so high yep. that they are intimidated to gather. That doesn't mean violence, but it does mean saying that we're going to resist, right? And not in direct violence, but saying, if you would try to intimidate us, we will intimidate you back. Now, that doesn't mean authorizing violence, it doesn't mean toting guns in their face, but it does mean making the cost for them gathering incredibly high. Like, that's the cost, that ha that's what has to happen, essentially. And that's the only alternative to actually both sides forming up groups and arming the left and all that other stuff. Yeah, Jason, I, I, I basically agree with everything you just said. That, you know, I, I've been going through, I guess you would call it kind of an existential crisis ever since this, because you know, the thing that we've, we've kind of realized is that Nazis have exposed a giant gaping hole in the First Amendment, and that you know, if we permit Nazis free speech, the logical conclusion of Nazis free speech is the ending of our speech. You know, any, mi any minority, any Jew, anybody who's not a Nazi, basically, you know, what they want to do with their free speech is to curtail others. And so we're basically stuck in this catch-22 where it's, it's like, do we afford free speech to Nazis to prove, you know, that is, that is how powerful the First Amendment is, that we are still willing, to, you know, to give the, the room to the worst elements of our society. But on the other hand, you saw what happened in Charlottesville that, you know, sometimes they can kill them. Like, you know, you saw what happened in the, in the parking garage with the, you know, the, uh, the assault. Um, some guy pulled a gun and was about to fire. There's a picture of him with two hands on his gun, you know, pushing out the same way that you're, you're taught to. And he's got a finger on the trigger, and supposedly the only thing that stopped him from pulling the trigger was a camera snapping and basically saying, hey, you know, smile. smile. And so it's just... I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to wrap my head around how I should believe on this because, like, you know, if you ask me my favorite thing about America, it's probably the First Amendment. But also, you know, the First Amendment allows for the shit that we saw in Charlottesville, and there's a problem with the First Amendment. Yeah, the threat speech is not protected by the First Amendment. Right, but the the que the question becomes where you know where does it stop <coughs> becoming speech? regular speech and where does it start becoming threats well and you could you, you could even extrapolate that jacob and say that's a problem with democracy is that someone could run for political office whose intention was to end democracy you know like 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 yeah. what hitler did yeah. like that that's i guess that's like sort of the risk you take but yeah i think yeah i, I think jake uh, jason like the really important thing you said was just that there has to be fear uh there has to be fear or else it's it, it, it risks spiraling out of control yeah, there has to be a cost for them to do this. Otherwise, you know, there's no... Now, the cost this time has not been uh, people pushing back. It's been, you know, widespread condemnation. It's being being outed 
to doxed to a certain extent, not address-wise, but name and place of business-wise. It's been lifelong shame as a result. That's been the cost, right? And being denounced by everybody but the president. Like, that's the cost right now. Um, who can say what happens in the future? I think what will happen, I mean, part of me wants to be like, yes, we have to fucking fight this all the way. Part of me believes that we will be denied any kind of like big showdown and they will be so intimidated by this that they are not going to be able to commit. They're going to run back to their middle class lives and there will be other rallies, but this will pretty much be it. They're, they've been flirting with it. And when it comes to the showdown, like, do you actually want to go through with this? Most of them will not have the sand. That's what I believe will happen. Yeah. And I think Boston maybe is a good indicator of that. We'll see. Yeah, I, th I think so. There were, you know, there were polls that came out shortly after, after Charlottesville asking, uh, like, what percentage of Americans sympathize with, like, white supremacists, white nationalists, like, every, every shade of Nazi that they could describe. And no matter how they phrased the question, the support always capped out at around 5%. So, I, like, there's a part of me that, does, that feels like we've seen kind of the most high-profile public uh, tussle of this just because, you know, like, like you said, Jason, you saw what happened with the pushback in Boston. There's pushback elsewhere. You know, there, there's just a lot more awareness around this issue than there was before Charlottesville. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people were surprised by Trump's reaction to it. I'm not. We, we all know what Trump is. Uh, we all know, you know, what he believes. So there's no mm -hmm. shock in that. It was heartening to an extent to see everybody else agree with this. I, if you'd asked me beforehand, I might have said, like, the Republicans will find some way to, like, you know, soft pedal this. It's their dog whistles being called on. And so they're going to find a way to push it aside. I really, like, I would have said, like, is McConnell going to... No, McConnell's not going to say anything about this. I really thought their degeneracy went that far. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised by the fact that they called it out at all. It was at the risk of giving uh, credence where it isn't due, and it usually isn't due to them. I have to say, I was, I was impressed by the fact that so many of them got on board and denounced Trump's white supremacy. That was heartening. I, it was. And I just want to say I was just I was personally very inspired by Paul Ryan's tweet where he said, <laughs> um, and I'm quoting directly, there are good things and there are bad things. And folks, we got to know when the good things are good and the bad things are bad. And that's, that's all a I'm good saying. point. Good point, uh, Paul. And I just said, Paul, you did it, man. You finally found your courage. And I moral I just, clarity. I started screaming again. I had just got done screaming from Bannon, and I just started screaming for Paul Ryan, and I didn't stop for, <laughs> for another whole day. Yeah, I mean, who, who would have thought that we'd be sitting here in 2017 talking about Ted Cruz bit like being a gold standard ahead of Paul Ryan? Yeah. Like any sort of compliment to Ted Cruz. I think like that was the thing that jumped out to me the most over the weekend was Ted Cruz immediately filing a letter to the Department of Justice saying, let's prosecute this as terrorism. Yeah, and like, you know, the the cynic in me saw that immediately. It was like, oh, okay, so he's running in twenty twenty. He's just trying to fill the vacuum that you know the Trump is in. But I I do kind of wonder if Republicans are starting to reckon with all the bullshit that they've been whipping up for forever and saying, you know, we can't we can't leave the party to turn into this white nationalist Donald Trump humping piece of shit, you know, party. And so I, part of me does feel like there is something of a moral call amongst all these people where they realize, like, oh, shit, we've really gone way too far emboldening, you know, these, these fascists. Mm -hmm. But maybe, maybe I'm, I'm just being a little too optimistic. Well, right and don't, don't make the mistake of thinking it's not also cowardly self-interest because I think, you know, I, I really do think, like, if they had gotten health care accomplished under yeah. Trump, I think maybe they would have yeah. taken a different tone on this. You know, I think... I think Trump has shown them to some extent that he's not going to be the Pied Piper that's going to 
lead the American people into letting the other Republicans do, you know, whatever heinous shit they want, like ending Social Security or, you know, requiring babies to, to be killed or whatever. Um, it's just, uh, you know, so I, I think he's lost in their eyes a lot of that power. And by the way, that's exactly why it's, you know, no coincidence at all that he's going back on the campaign trail already. Uh, was he like six <laughs> months into office, seven months into office? It's the only place he succeeds. Like when, the only place he's the only thing he's good at is bullshitting. He's not mm. good at doing the actual yep. stuff. He's not good at like ever talking with the media. He's just good at bullshitting, and so that's why he's in Phoenix now. And he's going to p- probably pardon this asshole sheriff Joe Arpaio out there, and he's going to try to stir up his crazies because <laughs> without them, man, yeah. without them, he's done. So- so Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that he will not pardon Joe Arpaio, but I I kind of feel like he's going to float it. Like he he may not say I'm announcing a pardon for Arpaio, but I definitely think he's going to say something like Should I pardon Joe Arpaio? Oh yeah, he, oh, yeah. he can throw it out there easy. Maybe uh, may, I was just saying maybe he'll have a Joffrey Lannister moment where he's like Sarah <laughs> Huckabee Sanders and my wife told me not to pardon Joe Arpaio, but, but they have the weak hearts of women. Uh, as long as I'm president, Joe Arpaio will be free forever. Um, <laughs> Whatever he does, no yeah. matter what his crime is from this day forward. <laughs> he shall never he be shall prosecuted. Be. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I yeah. wanted, before, I, before we move on to something else, I wanted to throw out, like, make no mistake about their hatred of white supremacy. Paul Ryan and the rest of these guys, by cutting health care, would have just murdered millions of poor people, right, indirectly. Right, mostly people uh, of color and poor women. So, like their human, their humanity, their their philanthropy for their fellow man. You know, I don't think I don't think there's any doubts about what they're capable of. It was just it was a big yeah. shock. You know, yeah, that's yeah. a lot of. Although it. you know, although to be fair to Paul Ryan, taking health care away from poor people is the only way that he can come. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was just, I was just gonna say like you know how liberal like liberals their thing is like we don't care. Um, what happens in the grand scheme, as long as, like, the board of Walmart has, like, people of color on it and <laughs> yeah. women. Um, Paul Ryan's, like, sort of the opposite, where he's like, I don't see color. I just am happy when poor people are miserable. Um, <laughs> like, they're, they're of the same breed that way. We've talked before uh, on the show about how the commodification of wokeness and liberalism, how liberalism sells the appearance of being rebellious and pro- uh, progressive, but not really. Like, fearless girl or those pink hats... You know, just like, or like pink washing in general or green washing, where they sell the idea of being able to, like, yeah, you know, I'm woke, you know, I want to change the world, but not really. You're just buying shit and changing your Facebook profile, and that's all it really is. <laughs> and I think we've talked before on this if, uh, about how if you want to sell men's stuff, men really will buy anything. We certainly, certain to God, will. You just have to package it as being masculine, and you can really <laughs> just sell. I'm yeah. dead serious. This is not a joke. Yeah. This is not a joke. Yeah. You can sell literally anything if you package it as masculine. That's, it's so easy to do. And one of the things that was really interesting after this big, uh, the big Charlottesville thing is that these guys are sold uh, this entire bill of goods of like Trump as being an alpha, um, you know, white men are just rediscovering their masculinity, you know, we're not afraid to trigger snowflakes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we've discussed before on the show how Trump is clearly not one of those guys, even though he's painted as that. What was so interesting about this is I, I kept logging on to Poll on 4chan 
and the Donald. These are two hubs of right-wing racist thought online. And when I would look at this stuff, like, it was incredible. It wasn't like, yes, we have won a great victory for the master race. It was all false flag bullshit. It was like, oh, you know, Soros said Soros. false flag op. Yep. You know, uh, uh, Heather Heyer not actually hit by a car. You know, uh, you, see, you can see them beating this guy's car up before he ran into, ran into her. You know, it was a false, they could not accept responsibility. Like, everything that they say about other people, like the false flag stuff, the safe space shit, the, uh, you know, the triggered libs, like, it's all there. Like, they, even when they're trying to be alpha and butch, they can't, they can never back it up. Not even when they're among themselves. For a bunch of contrarians, they spend most of their time digging at themselves. It, at poll, like, it was amazing. You would watch these people just tear on each other, being like, oh, you're the shill. No, you're the shill. No, this is all a setup. You guys are LARPers. I hate you. It was just that for, like, two or three days. I guess <laughs> yeah, checking back in. I, and I went on the Donald too, Jason. I will say it's the first time on the Donald that those like smug, sneering little fucks actually seem to be on the defensive, which was yeah. really, really something to see that because they always have an answer. But all of a sudden, I saw threads that were like, um, you know, guys, this is a really dark hour right now, but like, stay strong. Like they're trying to they're trying to lump us in with these Nazis and et cetera, et cetera. Like they were, and there was even a thread that was like along, you know, in the midst of all the things that said, you know, Soros bought all the protesters. There was one that said the only um, any, the only time someone should hold a Nazi flag is when they take it from somebody in battle. And they had a picture of U.S. troops who had just defeated some German regiment, like, kind of like holding the Nazi flag as a symbol of celebration. And it was like, yeah, I know, you, like, in one sense that's broadcasting strength, but in another, it's saying, it's like the first time, like, they've been defensive. They're, like, saying, we're not Nazis. This is not us, and this is my way of saying that it's not us. And it's like, oh, you guys are a little nervous now, aren't you? This is very interesting. The first time we've seen uh, any show of nerves from these, like, army of online trolls. Yeah, yeah. yeah they can't I mean, ever be the aggressor. They're always the victims. Always, 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 yeah. always, always, always. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is why I think the coming fight between Trump and the GOP may, it may energize them. And, you know, we'll just basically have a circular firing squad on the right and just watch them all attack each other before 2018. Uh, Shane, I have to say, I was impressed by the news that Duke had taken down the Robert E. Lee statue. It didn't surprise me that Duke actually had a Robert E. Lee statue, I will say. But, um, Suzuki, baby! The thing, uh, <laughs> I was less impressed by the news that they were melting down um, the Robert E. Lee statue to make a Christian Leitner statue, who is a much worse American. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, it's, like, it's fine that they tore down the Robert E. Lee statue, but they took the Coach K statue and put a Confederate Army uniform on it. So that was the compromise. Um, yeah, I was not happy with that. <laughs> you know, the you know the the un you know the unforgiven uh, the unknown JJ. You know that's kind of weird that military tomb that you guys have. This is just a new level of suspicious. And I think the only solution is to have Joe Paterno statues pretty much everywhere to make oh, us yeah. think about. It. <laughs> Finally, bring back the true hero. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. It was. I, I actually have been in the chapel a lot. Obviously, I never knew there was a Robert E. Lee statue, and pretty much <laughs> nobody I talked to ever did either. Um, it's actually a shitty statue. I'm glad it's gone. It wasn't a very good depiction. Um, but yeah, like it's you know Baltimore took down a bunch. Like this is you know someone UT made the point on yeah UT. Someone made the point on Twitter. Um, you know if you're if you're keeping score at home, these guys went to Charlottesville to for a show of strength and to protest the statue coming down and. The end result is that many more statues are down. So this is a this is a win for the left, um, and a yeah. pretty big loss for the right. I and would it, say. <laughs> well, and it's I mean 
all, it's also a loss for the left in that you have all of these people on the right who, in their whataboutism with the whole, you know, well, what if we're going to take Confederate statues down? What about Christopher Columbus? They wind up to the left of where most liberals are. Like, yeah, we should. Yeah, yeah. we fucking yeah, should. Totally. Fuck that guy. It's that thing about being about stumbling into wokeness, right? The guy's like, well, yeah. maybe you shouldn't pay. You know, if you're that, if that's your attitude, why pay CEOs at all? Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. Exactly. Like maybe we should take down the Columbus statues. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. I, I love that. And like, I, I just want to mention quickly that Jake, that reminded me of like a sort of opposite thing that happened. And Jason, you wrote about this today, of the DNC sending out an attack thing on Trump, saying he's broken all his promises on the wall. He hasn't built his border wall. <laughs> It's like, oh, good, DNC, you've managed to stake out a position further to the right of Trump, while the alt-right <laughs> trolls are now socialists. Like, this is a good country we have. They will never get... And this is the thing that was aggravating. People online have already been talking about this. But right after the protest, you had all these center people who were like, you know, the resistance standing up to, uh, to Nazis. Well, like, yeah, there were some members of the resistance here, but all these really left groups, the Wobblies, the DSA, um, BLM, like, these guys have been shat upon by the centrists of the world, you know, your Giordano's and whoever else, for God knows how long, and they're actually doing the work of literally standing, literally, standing up against fascism. And they never get any of this stuff. They never are, like, put in the councils of the resistance, right? It's just, oh, yeah. they will always incorporate right. That's the way the DNC works. Yeah. They will oh, yeah, always yeah, go uh, to the right. Uh, no, I mean, you, you got to see, like, here's a good litmus test for where you stand is, uh, you know, were you one of the hashtag resistance members who was fucking inspired by Tina Fey saying that you should go eat a sheet cake instead of actually being out there <laughs> on the front lines? Like, that's, that's a little... If you thought that was great, then you need to, like, do some reckoning. And, yeah, realize exactly what you said, Jason, that there are people out there, Black Lives Matter, the DSA, uh, et cetera, et cetera, putting their bodies on the line, like, actually sacrificing a life in one case uh, to, to stand up to these people. And... Probably they're going to sacrifice more lives. I don't think I don't think she was the last one that's going to have to die from the left uh, for this bullshit. And yeah, yeah. It, it's just it just shows you where the real hearts and minds like where where the real courage lies in this thing. Yeah, I've got I've got a theory that's emerged from this whole Charlotteville thing, and it's it's the more likely you are to define yourself as part of the resistance, the less likely you are to actually be on the streets resisting. Yep. Yeah. Because it's yeah. Possible. Simply simply put, that's it. It's an inverse relationship. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like, first off, the resistance—it's a—it's a fucking corporate slogan. Like MSNBC, who, by the way, is Comcast liberals. All of you people who think that you know Joy Reid is your goddamn savior—you know she's taking checks from the same people who are writing checks to Donald Trump's advisory board. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like the resistance is nothing more than a marketing campaign. It drives me fucking insane. I'm so sick and tired of this stupid fucking Star Wars cosplay that is going on in the center left. Did you see, uh, did you guys see the list of the 100 best resistance accounts that was authored? <laughs> yes. That was authored, yes. first of all, authored by Sally Albright. Included Sally Albright. She put John Schindler on there, and like, I, like Schindler's entertaining sometimes, <laughs> he's, he's got some good insight, but like, for the love of God, he's not the resistance. He calls himself a Republican. Like, it's, yeah. it's just, oh, it's, it's just so aggravating. And like the ones, the one people that are like nominally on the left, like anyone who they put who was like could slightly be argued for a leftist is like Sadie Doyle, who like coordinated specifically <laughs> with the Clinton campaign to write favorable pieces during, you know, during the primary. It's just yeah. like, holy shit. Like this, like this, it actually is a perfect list of people that like you should fucking ignore uh, at every <laughs> step of the way. Yeah, it's a list yeah, of I've, I've already seen people. 
Yeah, I've already seen people using it as a block list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's perfect for that. Man. Yeah. It just top, top to bottom. It was an amazing display of just like cowardice and spinelessness. You know, if if you view sheet caking in a positive <clears throat> term, you probably should stop listening to our podcast right the fuck now. The door is right there. It's, yeah, it's insufferable and the cowardice and the complete opportunism and lack of really any moral principle of the, well, of the resistance has been shown after Charlottesville, would beyond a doubt. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the fact that we're talking about the sheet-kicking bullshit at all just shows you how dependent the, you know, the DNC is on people like Tina Fey to advance their political agenda. Like, she's a fucking comic who made a joke. It wasn't a good joke. There was some, you know, she had, there was actually a transphobic joke in the middle of it, but, like, it's a joke. But because the DNC is so hollow, you know, someone like Tina Fey has ostensibly become a, a spokesperson for it because they don't have any actual politicians to do that work. It's right. And you know what they want in the end? Because they don't want change and because they are the status quo, they want to encourage the kind of material that appeals to people who want easy answers. The kind of lazy fucking leftist who doesn't want to get out in the street, doesn't want to talk about this stuff, just wants like the comfortable, imaginary, like peaceful life that they had before Donald Trump was elected. Who don't care about structural issues, they don't care about any actual like economic issues, all they care about is a veneer appearance of stability, and in their minds, the minute Donald Trump gets out of office, all their political problems will disappear. War will be fine again. If it's yeah. a Democrat waging war, whoever succeeds Trump, their wars will be just great. Their failure to raise the minimum wage will be just great. Like their failure to have yeah. universal health care or free college or paying down student loan debt, that'll be fine as long as it's a Democrat doing it. That'll be just great. The, yeah, the, D the DNC's base are white people who realize that racism was a problem this past week. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, where did yeah. this come from? How, America, my America. This is not my America. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. There was there was no more maddening response to Charlottesville than this is not who we are. It's like a fucking course we are. If you like, look, pay attention to any history, just a cursory amount of history. Yeah, yeah we've been dealing with these issues for for fucking ever. Yeah, like you're in the American South, which is like the most racist place. Uh, the second most racist is everywhere else in America. Like, like this is <laughs> this is like who we are, and we got to fight against it actively, constantly, and it doesn't begin and end with Trump. Yeah, it's uh, well in the. You know, the South, it makes for such a convenient scapegoat. Like, you know, I, I grew up in Colorado. I lived in Boston. I, like, my, so much of my livelihood is based in the quote-unquote North. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who are like, oh, so you're, you're moving down to Atlanta, huh? A bunch of, bunch of fucking racist hicks down there. It's like, motherfucker, you know, the most segregated schools in the country are in New York City. Like, fuck oh, you. Yeah. There's, oh, yeah. There is racism everywhere. Oh, totally. Like Samantha B, like the wokest of the the woke, you know, crowd. She doesn't want to send her kids to like public school because there's like too many people right. of color there. Like, like it's yeah, it's hypocr hypocrisy that's best. Massively hypocritical. No joke. I think if you have if you if you view the world as like okay, culture is how all this stuff happened, and these comics, you know, came together in the '60s and '70s and told jokes about. Uh, you know, about racial oppression. And that's how you think, like, the world it comes about, right? It's the same theory that conservatives have, that culture is what changes everything. It's like that the TV series Roots, though important, did all the work. Well, that's not what happened. Like, unions and communists in the 30s were arguing for civil rights for years. And then it took years of organizing by the Southern Leadership Council to get to the part where you could be organized enough. And by the time the rest of white America found out about it on their TVs in the 60s, a lot of those battles had been won. And it's kind of the same way here, too. These people don't know who we are. And so they can say stuff like, oh, we're not like this. Of course we're like this. 
it w we wouldn't have to fix things if we weren't like this. That's the entire point. We have to, we have to realize who we are before we do this. And, and built in that phrase, Shane, is the idea of like, oh, you know, we're this different thing. This is just a bad habit we picked up along the way. If you believe that, then you won't believe that we should have any fundamental restructuring of society, which is what has to happen for change to come. If you're like, oh, Trump is just a bad habit, he's not part of a system, then as soon as Trump goes, you'll be like, okay, everything's back to normal, we can sheet cake, right off again, nothing else <laughs> needs to change. That's the danger, that's the real danger behind the entire thing. Yep, and it's, yeah, and it's all about comfortable people who have been too comfortable for too long. Yep. yep. Uh, you, know, you, just, you know, you see the hypocrisy on the left, and you know, segueing into our, our next one is that with Trump's, you know, Afghanistan plan, it's really not that different from what Hillary Clinton would have done. It wasn't that different from the strategy that Obama pursued? But you know, Trump announces a, an endless war last night, and you see the entire Democratic elite lose their shit. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's hysterical seeing like Ben Rhodes on Twitter complaining about Trump's endless war. It's like, motherfucker, you literally wrote the position papers on that shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, eight years like for the last eight years. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was just thinking that, like, the Roger Sullenberger wrote for us today uh, a little satire of like the, the arguments Trump had with his generals before formulating this new Afghanistan policy. And there was one point where he's like, "Well, what am I going to say?" And the general's like, we're just going to use an old Obama speech. <laughs> and it's great. And like, there, there's a tweet today uh, from ABC News Politics. It's just the video of Tillerson talking. And I, I swear to God, this is the best summary of it. He says, you know, he's giving a message to the Taliban in his like old white guy, you know, tough voice. And he said, you will not win a battlefield victory. We may not win one, but neither will you. And it's like, holy shit. This is why people call it a forever war. You are not like this is not a smart policy. All it does is keep this war going with no resolution in sight. And like somebody wrote like, oh, good. The U.S. Our, our strategy is officially playing for a draw in a country <laughs> like in a country where war has gone on for 16 years. And one thing I wrote is that like, oh, yeah, this is a good plan because we all know from past insurgencies and past quagmires that the first group to give up is always the natives. Right. Like the North Vietnamese, <laughs> like surely are going to give up. The Iraqis yep. are surely going to give up. That's not how it works. All it does is keep you there. The Taliban will never come to the negotiating table with you. There will be no resolution. Uh, there's two ways this war ends, which is like you idiots nuking Afghanistan out of existence or somebody having a fucking bout of sanity eventually and bringing everybody home. Yeah. So the, of all the things World War II did, the worst thing that it did, um, maybe, not the, maybe not the worst thing that it did. <laughs> I was going to say genocide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a Holocaust. No, you're case, right, you're right. Okay, I think, not, not the worst thing it did. So, like, the third, the third worst thing that World War II did um, is it created the myth of how wars are fought ever since, right? It's yeah. inside this framework. So the idea we have of war is this. It's like it's a virtuous crusade. There are good guys and bad guys, and the war is fought until completion. And the, when that happens, everybody goes home and the state becomes good. That's not how wars work. The way wars between states work is that a state fights another state. Usually they're fairly evenly matched. There's an objective in mind. It's achieved and there's never total destruction. Most wars are fought until uh, there's you know, a slight advantage. The other side surrenders and everybody goes home. Like most wars are not fought until destruction. That's not how that works. And our idea of war now is a very different war because we have the notion in our heads of, oh, this will end with Afghanistan being a completely differently changed scenario. That's not what's going to happen. We have a forever war. And unfortunately, because it doesn't involve a majority of the population, the Pentagon and the president, Democrat or Republican, can keep doing this. 
because most of us will be distracted. And so we'll keep spending money because we have a lot of money anyway. And it's very far away, so we don't have to worry about all the people we're delimbing and deheading and all the grudges we're building because it's so far away. And it meets our national interest to keep building this over and over again. It's always good to have a power projection base in the middle of Asia. And, it, and it's also self-interested not to have the Taliban active again. We can all agree that's not a good thing. But like that's why this has gone on so long. Wars, if they could be managed this way, would go on for 20 or 30 years. If there was no press and no resistance, it would go on for even longer. And by the press, by the way, the press is complicit in all of this. But wars would go on for 100 years, 50 years, however long it takes. Um, this will go on uh, well into our 40s and 50s. Maybe. I mean, God, who knows? Until somebody gets the balls to pull out. And that'll only happen when the blob, the Washington Power Establishment, political, military, and foreign affairs, just gets sick of it. And right now, we're not attritioning um, to an extent where that has to be the case. And there's not enough political pressure to where that has to be the case. If there hadn't been the pressure with Vietnam, we would still be there, probably. And it's the same way with Afghanistan, too. We'll be there for a damn long time. And Trump is no different from Obama in this way. Dexter Filkins wrote a book called The Forever War. I don't know for sure that he was the one who popularized the term. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But it's a terrific book. It's about Afghanistan. And it makes the point that there is a generation in Afghanistan because, you know, their war didn't start when we attacked after 9-11. Their war goes back to them fighting the Soviets. Uh, the Taliban, you know, was, was armed by the U.S. as a you know, deterrent against the Soviet Union. Uh, and he makes the point that this is a war-torn country in the deepest, saddest definition of the word, where people there, there's an entire generation who has known nothing else. It's a miserable experience to live in that country. And essentially, it's beaten down an entire population. It's never going to change there. It, it's, it, we, have, we Essentially, you could blame America and the Soviet Union probably for ruining that nation forever, or for at least 100 years, Okay. And it makes the point also that we're never going to get out of it. There's never going to be a negotiation with anybody. There's never going to be anything else but corruption and, and loss of life if we continue to fight there. And this book was written in 2009. Okay, so it was almost a decade ago this book was written. Here we are eight years hence, and we're still there. Things are worse than ever before. We are no closer to a resolution. And eight years from now and ten years from after that and a decade later, it's not going to be any closer to the resolution at any point. Um, I would recommend everybody read this book, and it's, uh, frankly, it's <laughs> beyond disheartening that, that this is still happening and that this is something that America is still involved with. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, you know, the underlying issue of all of this is that we're operating on a faulty premise. Like, you know, we go into Iraq, for example, and our, and our idea is to turn Iraq into a country, but Iraq is a fake country. It was, you know, it was created by the Sykes-Picot Agreement in the early, early 20th century. And it was, you know, basically just a bunch of European powers dividing up oil fields. And Iraq, you know, if you look at demographics-wise, it's really three countries. You know, there's Sunni, Shiites, and Kurds. And if you were yeah. going to break it up along actual autonomous lines, you would break Iraq up into three different countries. Afghanistan is very similar in that, you know, they have a bunch of different localities that should really have their own nation states. But because, you know, we're still working on this European imperialist map, we're forever going to be trying to fit square pegs and around holes. And, and, you know, Jason, you mentioned the media being complicit. And, Jake, that's exactly right. But, <laughs> you know, today Maggie Haberman from the New York Times, again, going back to the same goddamn bullshit. Oh, one of his most forceful speeches. Uh, Trump very presidential today. Just like when he gave that bullshit speech about, uh, you know, the guy who died in the Yemen, in the Yemen fight. Mm. It, it's just like... Nobody gets it. You know, the minute somebody up top talks about war, they're presidential and they're so great. 
Uh, there are two tweets today that I thought were amazing. Sam Chris was the first one, uh, who I recommend anybody. You know, he's really, really good. He's everybody amazing. Should, yeah, everybody should follow him. Uh, but he, you know, this is a fake dialogue from him. It starts with Trump saying, I will make the bad men go bye-bye. Uh, and the media responds, how is he president? I can't even. And then Trump interrupts and says, in a big war. And the media goes, wise, nuanced, forceful. <laughs> like, it, and that's exactly right. And then the next one is by, um, by Felix Biederman of, of Chapel Trap House. Again, it's a dialogue thing. First one is Trump. Afghanistan is often referred to as uh, the monster mash of empires. And then <laughs> the next person is Craig Fuck, New York Times. This is a, this is a new Trump. Like, it's so true. Like, it, it's just you want to throw your hands up in hopelessness that nobody can hold this guy accountable or anybody accountable, whether it's him or Obama or Hillary Clinton or whoever. War is just like the ultimate, like, uh, like cure-all for these, for these media people. They just lose all sense of critique and uh, lose all sense of history and everything else. Yeah, we overlook the fact uh, that the Persian Gulf, or the war, first war in Iraq, um, and CNN essentially were interwoven. CNN is built on the back of <laughs> the Gulf War One, So, like, they coexist, right? The new, our wars in the Middle East, especially very faraway countries, are, are part creations of the Pentagon and part creations of the major media networks. Like, that's how most people experience them. That's how they're sold. They're, that's how they get complicity from. All these reporters are embedded with these units they have loyalty to. And, yeah, to an extent, you really cannot separate the two. So, yeah, cable news loves war, right? And they love writing about war. They love being in war. They love talking about it. Their journalists love doing it. They love talking about it. And eventually, we're going to have to get our way out of it. The, the Haqqani network is not going anywhere. They will be in Afghanistan forever. And so we need to leave first. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, you know... I think that war war really exposes how flawed a capitalist-based media model is, and that you know that's what gets ratings. Because you know the the flip side of all this, we always talk about how the the media is is always pushing war, and like you know uh, Adam Johnson has this great thread that he keeps updating about how people always write, well the U.S. is you know stumbling into war, or falling backwards into war. It's never the United States' fault. It's always somebody else drawing drawing them into war, but. You know this stuff sells, and so I think that there's there's an underlying issue in our society that you know I think that we've just watched like way too much 24, and we can't get enough of it, and so we switch over from you know a TV show on Fox to CNN, and still we you know we want to get that same entertainment product, and under a, a capitalist-based media system that they're going to give you what you want, not what you need to know. Yeah. Well, I think that'll have to be the end for tonight, unless you guys have anything else to add before we take off here. No, I think I'm good. I, I think my voice has had it anyway. But that's, uh, yeah, I think we solved a lot of problems tonight. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Good work, team. I think we uh, solved the war, too. Yeah, I, you know what? I'd like to leave our, our listeners with one story about how you actually treat Nazis. You know, at the, the top of the, the podcast, I uh, talked about my grandfather who fought in World War II. Um, and he, he wasn't one to brag about his war stories, so we didn't find this out until after he had died. But somebody in his regiment, he was, he was flanking uh, the Battle of the Bulge, and they were trying to open up a, an expressway to, to get supplies to the, the, the front of the battle. And so they were pinned down by a bunch of snipers, and so he was on the mortar team. And they were just kind of going back and forth for, for a week, and it was a stalemate. And so one guy in his regiment got it into his head that he was going to sneak over enemy lines. And so what he wound up doing for about a week is he would sneak over to enemy lines and German sniper teams would always uh, camp out in teams of two. And so the reason why is that, you know, one could always be awake, but inevitably the, 
they would both fall asleep. And so what happened was, is this guy went over enemy lines, slit the throat of one of the Nazis, and left him there for the other one to find him in the morning. And after a week or so, the Nazis retreated. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love, I love, I love, I love stories like that. Good night, folks. Yeah. See everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>